This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Hey, listener, this is Jimmy Pardo from the award-winning podcast, Never Not Funny. You are listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Turn up! Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, another special edition of P.F. tape recorder, your favorite band. This time up, it's Pat Francis from the Rock Solid podcast discussing Cheap Trick. Pat also tells us about a celebrity sighting related, at least somewhat, to Cheap Trick. I was working at this one office in North Hollywood, and we used to go across the street to this coffee shop. It's his coffee shop. So he would be there, you know, making the espressos and stuff. Find out who that coffee shop owner was, and still is as a matter of fact, and how it relates to Cheap Trick. Also, we'll we'll discuss why Pat likes Cheap Trick, how he got into them, a lot of detail on the band, a lot of things that I didn't actually know. Um, I am familiar with Cheap Trick, because uh, Cheap Trick, even though they weren't really an alternative band, they were still, uh, they they were unique. They had their own sound, and they adapted really well to what was going on in the 80s, what was making videos, and as Pat will describe, kind of the personality of the band. So uh, let's not waste any more time here. Let's talk to Pat Francis about Cheap Trick. Hello. Hey, man. What's up? Not too much. How are you doing? Good, good. Got some good levels here, so that's good. Um, okay, so you ready to do this? I think so. Okay. Well, um, uh, I guess we'll do a, a slow open like Marin does on his show, and uh, I'll explain. this. I think this is the fourth or fifth one I've done, but I haven't done one in a while. I think the last one I did was Pardo's. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that was back in the fall, and actually... Um, it's uh, fortuitous, and that may be the wrong word, that you're doing it now because uh, what inspired this special edition actually was an early episode of Rock Solid. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Do you remember? Pressure. This is back when Gary was still co-hosting. And, oh, uh, and I believe it was Siegel was on, or maybe Mike Schmidt. You did the Van Halen episode. Yes, uh, Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, okay. So, uh, and, and, and you and I, of course, are, are the same, and we've discussed this before, in that we will listen to or watch a, a bio about any band or artist, even if we don't like them or are indifferent to them. And, and that's how I was with the Van Halen episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean I'm, I'm, I was not, I'm not a Quiet Riot fan at all, and I was riveted by that new documentary about them. Yeah, yeah, I got to see that. Um, and I got to see that Eagles one, too, by the way. I don't like oh, the Eagles. And yeah, yeah. So anyway, the funny thing was is that uh, as the episode went on, Gary, I think, was – I guess Gary's not a Van Halen fan, but he seemed interested for the first hour. <laughs> and then he kind of got worn out. <laughs> as Well, you know, in, Gar- in Gary's defense, uh, Mike Schmidt is such a big fan that he can totally steamroller right, right. The, the whole proceeding sometimes. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is then uh, after Pardo did this, he was on Never Not Funny talking about that episode. Somehow that came up. And, okay. uh, and Belknap mentioned, he goes, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Pat and Mike Schmidt did a thing about Van Halen. And, and Pardo's like, well, if I know those two, they took it very seriously. And, uh, <laughs> and Belknap's like, yeah, they did. And then, the, then he says the funniest thing. 
He says, I was on P.O. Wilson's podcast, you know, talking about Chicago. And the greatest thing about that is he says it as if people should know who P.F. Wilson is. It was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, I mean, Garen knows me because I write for the website for Pop Culture Beast. And I guess Matt, may, I emailed Matt once or twice with some questions about podcasting. So he may know me from that. I don't know. That was pretty funny. Um, so anyway, yeah, he and he. I don't think Jimmy understood that that the whole idea of your favorite band was to talk in detail about your favorite band, and he thought he was being a big blowhard and boring. I'm like, and I emailed him and said, no, that was the that was the point. That's what you're supposed to do. So yeah, I mean, did Jimmy not uh, take Chicago seriously? Oh, he did very. And that, but th- yeah. that's what he was saying. I never know. Funny, he goes, oh, I, I I listed everything. I was such a boring blowhard. Me, not PF. And uh, no, 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 you that was the whole, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the whole idea of this thing. So I want to find out why people like certain bands. And um, right. yeah, so we start, uh, we go to you. I know you have, like a lot of people that have been on this show, actually, you have two favorite bands. And your other favorite band is, I know the answer, but. I don't know if I know what my what my second favorite oh, band. Said, I mean, I like, the pre- I like the Pretenders. Yeah, well, they opened for your favorite band when the first time you ever saw them live. Oh, UFO. Yeah. Aren't yes, they still? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I, I've, I, uh, Cheap Trick's still my favorite band, and yet I haven't really listened to Cheap Trick in, like, for for a couple of years. I haven't really listened to Cheap Trick. To be honest, it's funny. Really? Oh wow! I did not see. I, I imagine that they come up in your shuffle all the time, and you're very happy, or you go on a. Yeah, I get on. A, I'll get on a kick with like certain bands, and then that'll be the only thing I listen to for oh. for weeks and weeks. So, uh, and since Cheap Trick hasn't had an album out in six years now, they were on the cycle like every three years. Right, right. Um, I just haven't got uh, got the Jones for them, but they're oh, wow. still still my favorite band. Oh wow, that's very strange because yeah. like, all my bands I listen to all the time. I listen to a lot of new stuff. See, I'm not really an, an album guy though. And I don't go on big binges. I'm definitely still a hit single guy. Well, hits in quotes because none of the stuff I like is necessarily hits. But uh, so I'll make little collections of new music and I'll listen to those a lot. And I'll also listen to all my old bands as well. But so I've, I'm learning something already here. Yeah. So and we're not recording yet. Yes, we are. Oh, we what? Yes. This is part of the show. This is part of the show, man. This is your favorite band, Cheap Trick with Pat Francis. I thought you were checking levels. I didn't oh. know. I didn't know we were. T- oh wow. Yeah, okay. No, gotcha. Hey, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> okay. And uh, and this is gonna. It's actually gonna drop uh, in a couple of weeks. I don't really record this far in advance usually, but uh-huh. um, this is what when we go on vacation every year. I have to like record in advance, so this will drop. The, actually, the Sunday we get back from Florida, but um, but it'll be done and out of the way. And, and what? Um, the, how many episodes have you done? Uh, this I've done 190. Well, 196 will drop on Sunday of PF Tape Recorder. Uh, we've done five special editions of your favorite band. I think uh, Depeche Mode with Caleb Bacon, uh, Chicago with Pardo. Uh, my friend Brian, the not well, not famous person to be on here. He, he talked about the Alarm. He was on. Maybe that was cool. it. Maybe it's only the. So maybe this is only the fourth one of these that we have done. And uh, my friend Brian, by the way, does not believe anyone. He's from uh, Scotland. And his favorite band is from Wales, who are the Alarm. And he doesn't believe anybody in this country knows who the Alarm is. And I say, no, I can tell you two people in California that know who they are. Because yeah, you Mike, Peter. Mike Peters from Mike, the Alarm, of yeah, course. Yeah. And I know you know like the big rock radio hits, like Rain in the Summertime. But hey, it still counts. 
I saw the alarm open for the Pretenders oh, so on the jealous. Learning to Crawl tour in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So jealous. See, this is the thing. I was always in the wrong town. I lived in Pittsburgh, as you know, for a long time. But whenever the alarm showed up, I was at college in Bowling Green, or I was in Cleveland at my mom's, and then I'd come down to Pittsburgh, and the alarm would be somewhere else. So that's one of those bands that I missed. I yeah, what was the, what was the, um, uh, what's the gun song? What's it called? 68 Guns. How many? 68. 60, I was going to say 68, but then I was like, what if it's not 68? It is. Well, um, see, there you go. Now, that's funny. My my 196th episode just posted today. Right. You were on the same schedule, basically. I think we started about the same time. We must have started like the exact same time. You put one up You put one up once a week, right? Yes, yes. Well, I, I did them. I, I, hmm, at first, I was doing them. Again, we go back to Pardo. Uh, I was putting them up kind of like a week, week and a half as being lazy. And then Pardo was on like one of the first episodes, like on episode five or six. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 it just exploded. And Podbean, who hosts the podcast, said, hey, you're going to have to pay for this now because there's too many people downloading your podcast. <laughs> and so, okay, well, that's fine. And so from yep. there, I think, you know what? I better do these once a week now. So starting like with episode six or seven, they became weekly. And yeah, so we've been on a weekly schedule ever since. Well, that's what I, I do tell anyone that's going to podcast. I say the one thing I think that you should definitely do is be consistent. Pick yeah. a day, pick a time, yep, and, and make sure it's up there at that time because, you know, it, it, when you watch – TV, I mean, what if The Walking Dead, one week it was on Tuesday and yeah. one week it was on Thursday, you know what I mean? I mean, you have to get a schedule for yourself and stick to it. Exactly. So every Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern time is when these uh, go up usually. So Perfect. Yeah. And then so, you well, to, uh, yeah, on. thanks for having me on. And my, my, on. Fa- my number one favorite band is Cheap Trick. And as I said earlier, when I didn't know we were recording, <laughs> um, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I'll, I'll listen to songs here and there yeah. from time to time, and, and play them on my show. But I haven't. Uh, I haven't dug back into the catalog recently because I am an album guy. Like I, I, I go. I have physical CDs. I go up there to the. I call it the rock room, <laughs> and I'll just. Uh, I'll just run my finger along some shelves, and then I'll just oh, wow. stop something, and I'll grab that CD, and that's the CD I'll listen to for the day. Oh, really? I still love albums. Uh, see, I was never an album guy. I mean, a, a little bit with like my favorite favorite bands, like you know Depeche Mode and OMD and Thompson Twins, the Beach Boys. But right. um, yeah, always been a hit singles guy, to which I've been criticized roundly by my friends and my wife. But uh, well, uh, yeah, now that doesn't mean that like you know, let's say a band like the Dream Academy, I like their singles, but right, I don't. Right. Yeah, I, I don't have their albums, but you know. Yeah, I mean, there are albums I will listen to all the way through, and I have and I have uh, done that. I listened to Mirror Moves by Psychedelic Furs a couple of weeks ago, went back and visited that again. and uh, So, yeah, I will, I will listen to whole albums. And if someone brings out something new and I'm trying to find a song I like off of it, of course, I'll, go, I'll listen to that all the way through, too. So. Right. Yeah. So going back to Cheap Trick, uh, Cheap Trick, it starts where with Pat Francis? It, 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 I mean, it's cliched, but it starts with the At Budokan album. Okay. And um, it, pro- it probably starts with the single "I Want You to Want Me." Um, at that time, I think because of uh, Frampton Comes Alive, it was okay to have a, a, a band release a live single. I mean, that didn't yeah, happen. That was odd. Yeah, that didn't happen too often. And um, I was I was never into live albums at that point. That was definitely the first Cheap Trick album I purchased, and the first live album I ever purchased. I'm still not that big of a fan of live albums per se, but since that, since I bought that as if it was just, 
you know, I listened to that like it was a studio album because I didn't know anything right. different. Yeah. And I, and I really didn't know that they had three albums prior to that until I, you know, started to look through the racks at the record, uh, at the record store. So and then, uh, but I've been, uh, yeah, I've been a fan ever since I, uh, I buy the, I buy their albums uh, day of release. I've never missed a day of release. It's like an event for me. And, um, I just, uh, that was such a great, like power pop live album. I just, at that point I hadn't really heard anything like that. I mean, there was stuff like that, obviously, but I hadn't heard it. And I just loved the, um, I loved, uh, I loved how two of the guys were like kind of nerdy and looked, you know, dorky. Yes. And even the drummer looked like your dad. <laughs> he did, and, yes. the, uh, and then the other two guys just looked, you know, smooth as silk. They just looked so cool. You know, a blonde, uh, uh, you know, a, a brunette, I mean, long hair flowing. Sure. And, uh, I was just even more than, uh, even more than, than kiss. Like I really learned about band image from Cheap Trick because I was like, this 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 thing is, is something I've never seen before. No, I mean, you normally a band the members look similar. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you know, Spandau Ballet. Those guys are sure. all in suits. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Guys from Duran Duran are all look kind of, you know, style wise. But Cheap Trick was all kind of over the board. Right. Right. Uh, funny, so, uh, you should, uh, I was fascinated by that. There's a group, a new group we like called Paradise Fears. Well, a new horror group. They've been around for a couple of years. They're a couple of kids from South Dakota. And my uh, my daughter, uh, Hannah, who we call Fangirl, and I once <laughs> remarked that uh, they all look like they belong in different bands. And I interviewed them uh, on episode 56 of our show. And the lead, oh, cool. singer, the lead singer said, oh, yeah, it goes in high school we were the only ones that all like the same music, but we all kind of came from different backgrounds. So I was that was not uh, that was not an accident. But um, getting back to I Want You to Want Me, now you're not a, a, a huge fan of that song in retrospect, I understand. Is that correct? Well, I, no, I still love the song, but when I, when I go see them live, you know, when that song comes on, I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. I still love it. It's still a great song. I understand there's people in the audience that have never seen Cheap Trick or maybe only seen them once or twice, and I've probably seen them 30 or 40 times. So um, I, I actually wish they would just open with it and get it yeah, out of the way. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because when that song, I remember that song came out, I was like, eh, you know, it's okay. And then I became a fan um, a little while after. Uh, of course, they're on the soundtrack for Rhodey. And maybe yes. you help me remember this correctly, because my cousin, I think she bought the Roadie soundtrack, and I think for some, even, I looked this up on Wikipedia, and it says it's the, it's the power cut, it's the lead track on the album, but for some reason, I remember there was a 45 single of it in the album, and she gave that to me because she didn't like the song, and I, I love the song, and that's when I became a fan of Cheap Trick. But There's a, the 45 single, they had an EP out called Found All the Parts. Okay. It was uh, two songs on one side, two songs on the other, and the 45 for Everything Works If You Let It came 
in the EP. Oh, maybe she had that, and then when she bought Roadie, she didn't need that 45, and she gave that to me. Because the 45 I have, it's 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 the same song on both sides. It's everything working. Yes, yes, yes. It. That's okay. exactly how it was when it oh, came okay. in. And um, that song is produced by George Martin. Yes. And they obviously recorded that during the sessions for uh, um, an album called All Shook Up. And I really wish that would have that song would have also been on the album All Shook Up because it's uh, that's a great tune. Everything it works is. if you let it. It is, man. I love that tune. Um, so, like I would, I wish they would throw. They do mix up the set list a lot, but they don't mix it up enough to throw in something like that, which I think would be amazing. Yeah, see, you're you're kind of in the same position with me as I'm with if you leave with OMD, which um is a, it's a, which is an okay song. I've never really liked the song a lot, and my big beef with it was always because it was their biggest hit here in the U.S. It got the number seven, I think, and it was yeah. only top ten hit. And, you know, I've, of course, I'm like, well, they have so many better songs that should have been in the top 10. And of yeah. course, when I see them live, it's like, boy, I could, I'd really rather hear Telegraph or Genetic Engineering or something else. And uh, I remember when we saw them in Chicago. Uh, I went and saw them and I sat with all the press people and this guy from the Illinois Reporter, 20 year old kid they sent to cover the show. He tells <laughs> he over I overhear him telling people, I only know the one song. And then I, I read his review a week later, and he's, they played If You Leave in the middle of the set. And he goes, I don't know why they played their highlight in the middle of the set. And I'm like, well, here's the thing, sir. The 3,000 people that were there, or 300 people that were there, uh, probably all of us are of the same opinion. We could have all done without If You Leave, and would have heard yeah. something really obscure. But, you know, God bless him. He did a nice review otherwise. He had some nice pictures, too. Um, how, so, many, um, how many times have you seen OMD? I have only seen OMD five or six times. That's it. That seems like a lot of times. I, do they they yeah. still they're still still active on the tour circuit and everything. Yes, they actually are. They um they uh in nineteen eighty nine after they tried to break America and couldn't uh they ended up kind of getting into a, a there's two core members Andy and Paul and then there's two other guys Malcolm and Martin that have been in the band forever but Paul and Andy write most of the songs. So uh, they were sick of each other after they finished that tour, and then they decided to take a break, and the three of them went to Andy and said, you know what, we just don't want to be in a band anymore. We want to stop this. And, and Andy said, well, I'm going to continue on uh, as OMD. And I found this clip on YouTube, which has now been taken down, where he, they talked to him about it a couple years later. And he says, they came to me, and they said, we, there's still value in the name OMD, and we, we, and we want it, and there's three of us and one of you. And Andy said, over my dead body. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, they, so they split off The other three guys From Listening Pool Andy goes on his OMD Releases three pretty good albums One's a really huge hit Sugar Tax uh, They bury the hatchet In 2006 When German TV Asked them to come over And do a show And they're like Wow this is fun Let's do this again So they've released Two albums since With the uh, What they call The classic lineup And they were two Really good albums And uh, yeah they, uh, 
The drummer had a heart attack, unfortunately, in Toronto, and he can't tour, but they got the drummer from when Andy was doing it by himself to tour, so hopefully we'll get him back over here in North America soon. Yeah, it's funny, like a band like OMD or a band like uh, ELO, Yes, I mean, if the lead singer's in the band, I feel like they can still use that name. Well, it's funny. I saw there's a concert on YouTube of them in South Africa when it was just him and these other guys, who the what Paul and, and Martin and Mal call the B team, and... Uh, and he's on stage, and he's saying, uh, yeah, we wrote this song back. And I'm like, no, those, no, there's no we. None of those guys were in the band back then. Right. <laughs> it's just you. You wrote, you and Paul wrote it. <laughs> so it was so I, strange to see that. But, um, yeah, everything's, everything's back in hunky-dory, and they're all, they're all mates again. So I had that same experience. I went to the, – the babies are back together, but oh, without, yeah. without John Waite. Oh, well, that's – So it's, um, it's really only the drummer, Tony Brock, and the, and the guitarist, Wally Stalker. And then it, then they got a new singer and a new uh, a new bass player. But yeah, I went to I went to see them. The only reason I went is because I wanted to get uh, the original members' autographs on an album that I already had John Waite's album um, signature. Oh yeah, on. that's right. Yeah, because he was on the show. But, but yeah, the lead singer kept saying, "You've been waiting thirty years to see this, and here we are." And I'm like, <laughs> "No, no." <laughs> And then this was a big hit for us. Do you remember this one? I'm like, it wasn't a hit for you. <laughs> it was like so frustrating. I know. And then we're probably the only people that are like that, though. They're, they're oh, just a handful of us. So with Cheap Trick, you go back through the catalog. Do you go back blind through the catalog after Budokan? Or do you kind of like, do you know people that have the albums and you kind of listen no, to them? No, no. I just, um, it's funny. When I was in, when I was in, uh, well, when I was in high school, well, this would have been 78, so I didn't have a job then. No, I always had like job. I always had jobs like i was a paper boy and you know i always had so i always had some i had some expendable cash so yeah i probably went back and bought uh i probably just went back backwards i probably bought heaven tonight and then in color and then and then the uh the debut and then and then from there on you know i would buy everything when it came out but uh yeah those first three albums are so strong for me i mean i mean the first album's heavy and then the second album is kind of more poppy. It doesn't sound like the first album. And then I think Heaven Tonight, they really pulled everything together because that's my favorite Cheap Trick album if I had to choose one. Now, which, um, what songs are on that that people would know? Uh, well, Surrender. And it's funny, oh, Surrender, okay, I, yeah. don't, I never get tired of Surrender. No, I love that song. Never, never, never. But surrender, California man. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if people would know a lot of these songs. But on top of the world, high roller, taking me back on the radio. I I highly recommend that album. I mean, if you if you've never heard anything but I want you to want me and surrender, get heaven tonight. It's it's okay. a perfect introduction. Cool. Uh, I remember when I was working at a newspaper in uh, here in town in Cincinnati, like in the 90s, and Cheap Trick were back on the road. And this girl, the, the, also over the paper, said, yeah, I don't know if I want to go see Cheap Trick or not. And I immediately pipe up and say, you don't recall the genius of Rick Nielsen, the charisma of Robin Sander? Mom is all right. Your dad. And she had no idea. And she's the same age as me. I'm like, Fast Times? Really? You don't? Okay. It's so funny. I There's a... Um, uh, 
uh, I, I story produce for uh, reality television yes. when I'm uh, when I'm employed. Yes. And um, I was working at this one office in North Hollywood, and we used to go across the street to this coffee shop, and the guy who played Damone, yeah, in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, it's his coffee shop. Oh wow! So he would be there, you know, making the espressos and stuff, and it was every day we were like, Damone just made our coffee. Huh. And we, uh, and we would never say it. I mean, he still looks, he just looks like an older version of himself. He looks, right, right. He's, looks pretty great, and he sounds exactly, that voice is still yeah. the same. But, uh, yeah, my friend and I would get a kick out of that every day. That is funny, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they do the three albums, Budokan Explodes, and then uh, and that's where you're on board. And then, uh, then what comes next for them? They have a pretty good career up through the, uh, through the late 80s, pretty much. Well, yeah, actually... Um, uh, they weren't the the Budokan album was not going to be released in the U.S. That was just something for Japan because they were so big in Japan. Yes, and then um, in, people started to buy import versions of it in the U.S. And they they you know I guess the record label was like, hey, a lot of people are buying this import album, uh, and they were ready to release Dream Police, but Dream Police kind of got put on the back burner. And they released, uh, they pushed uh, at Budokan out first, and then, uh, and then after the success of that died down, eventually, uh, then Dream Police finally came out. Okay, and then what's the album that has uh, "If You Want My Love"? Isn't that, is that after Dream Police, or is that a late yes. single from? Okay, yeah, it goes uh, Dream Police, and then the, and then an EP, and then the George Martin produced album called "All Shook Up." Uh, okay, and then after that album, Tom Peterson left because I think he was having drug problems okay. so he he left the band and more soundtrack work and then yeah then then an album called one on one came out and that's the one that had if you want my love and it also had she's tight which were oh yeah yeah those were in heavy rotation pretty much um on mtv those were i remember those being world premiere videos i remember yes. i remember going to a, a friend's house because i didn't have mtv yet and he did and we just went and waited for those songs and to come on and for those videos to come on yeah that's another uh, one of my favorite cheap trick tunes would be if you want my love and uh, uh stalled out in the top to only got to like 30 odd in the chart Sometimes I can't figure out uh, if if Epic Records didn't work the band hard enough or work those records hard enough because it was disappointing because uh, I thought uh, you know a couple of those early '80s albums were pretty solid and well yeah just, I, that would just, make sense because uh, back then in that same time frame uh, OMD were on Virgin Records in the UK but Virgin had no operations here so all those bands had to sign separate contracts in the United States and so for OMD's first four albums they're on Epic. And I had never heard of them. I didn't know about them until they were on A&M and I was in college and was uh, their fifth album, Junk Culture. So that would make a lot of sense. I think that when things happened at Epic, they were very happy and to promote them, but I don't think they had the this, this savvy that other labels had back then, it just seems, anecdotally. Yeah, and I mean, at, at that time, Robin Zander is still a, a great-looking young dude, so... With a great voice. Yeah, with a great... He still has a great voice, yeah. and I can't... 
I just can't believe uh, that they didn't, um, you know, push these. Yeah, if if you want my love, I only went to number forty-five. Oh yeah, that's crazy. That doesn't make it. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. And then uh, what happens from there? I know they have they have a little there's a little lull, and then they they kind of come back strong in the late eighties. Yeah, they release a, another album called Next Position, Please, that Todd Rundgren produced, and that's a really good album. And then Jack Douglas, who produced the uh, debut album, he produces the next album called Standing on the Edge. But to me, it's it's not it's not that great. I mean, at the time, I was excited for any cheap trick music, but sure. in hindsight, it's just okay. And then they release an album called The Doctor, which is every cheap trick fan will tell you that that's that's their worst album, even though it has a couple of good songs here and there. And I, I don't hate it, but it's definitely their worst album. Hmm. And, and then, and then in 1988, that? that's when Tom Peterson comes back. Oh, okay. And and they record Lap of Luxury, and The Flame goes to number one, and uh, Don't Be Cruel, uh, the Elvis Presley song, yes. they do a cover of that. That very, goes to number four. Very nice cover of that, by the way. That's a great yeah. record. And I had the, produ- the producer of that album, uh, Richie Zito, was just on my podcast yes. a couple weeks ago, and he was uh, he was saying, you know, that Rick Nielsen did not like the song "The Flame." He he, I, I always heard this as um, I always heard the story, but I didn't know it was true. But then Richie said it was definitely true. Rick takes the cassette out of the cassette player and throws it against the wall and breaks it. He goes, "I I hate that song. I'm not doing that song." turned him around well that's why i asked richie richie said he goes you know what they didn't want to record they didn't want to do a backing track they didn't want to do anything he goes, so he, richie who's a guitar player he said him and a keyboard player friend of his they went in and they laid down a backing track and they they convinced robin to come in and just sing over top of it whoa he said basically if you could get robin yeah if you could get robin on board then robin could get everyone on board so that's uh, what happened oh wow so you know, for for better or for worse, they had a, they had a number one uh, number one single, and I think the album went to num was it num might have been at number one. No, that's not true. But um, yeah, number one single. I think it uh, I think it knocked I think it knocked a Michael Jackson song off the chart for one week. Hmm. But um, 
Yeah, and Tom Peterson was back in the band, so they were yeah they were back flying high again. And then the the, the follow up album comes out two years later. It's basically the same formula as the as Lap of Luxury, same producer, uh, great record. I think I actually like it better than Lap of Luxury, and it just does nothing. Uh, it gives us a, a top top twenty hit though. Yeah, it gives uh, uh, Can't Stop Falling Into Love goes to number twelve. But um, I think, I mean, I always hate to say grunge, but I think, I really do think, you know, in, in two years, a lot of stuff changed with music. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they, um, and yeah, busted, busted lived up to its name. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. And how did they get involved in this Beatles thing? So I know I didn't realize that goes back as far as '91. Because I know they were doing it in Vegas for a while. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they. That's that's their biggest influence. That's their their Beatle fans, and um, and so I guess you know when when a chance came up for them to to do the uh sergeant pepper album front to back i mean they they just jumped on that and it was uh i mean they've uh, um bunny carlos and rick nielsen played on the demos for double fantasy oh i didn't know that yeah they never they didn't make it to the final album because jack douglas produced double fantasy and 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 john was a was a fan of cheap tricks is what i hear oh wow so jack said hey I, we can bring rick and bunny into to work out these demos uh, I think it was Rick and Bunny and Tony Levin was on bass, and those guys worked up some of the demos with John. And um, uh, what was I going to say? So yeah, they're just big Beatles fans. I mean, there's a there's a John Lennon tribute album where they Cheap Trick does Cold Turkey, and they did a version of Magical Mystery Tour on their Greatest Hits album. And uh, yeah, so they they had one of those residencies in. In Vegas, where they would play uh, Sgt. Pepper front to back and then end the show with some of their own hits. Oh, okay. Yeah, because my wife saw yeah. that uh, with her sister and my mother-in-law, actually. They all went to see that. Yeah, it was great. Did they like it? Because um, uh, my wife uh, is a Beatles fan and uh, doesn't necessarily like the other music I yeah. like. But uh, we went to uh, we went to that in Vegas, and uh, and she she was pretty impressed with how they pulled it off. Uh, so and my wife likes both. Uh, she has time for Cheap Trick, and she loves the Beatles. I I don't think she the merging of the two was too her like. Maybe it was my sister in law that didn't wasn't yeah. one of them was on board. One of them was kind of like eh, and uh, my mother well, actually enjoyed it. But. They had uh, they had Jeff Emmerich who uh, engineered the Beatles albums. 
he was actually the in-house engineer for that uh, show. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I mean, it was funny because a lot of people were walking up to the mixing board with uh, Beatles albums and having Jeff Emmerich sign them, and he was seemed like he was oh, getting a funny. kick out of that. That is funny. So, um, so this, uh, I know in the 90s, like a lot of bands, uh, you know, it's like you said, grunge kind of steamrolls just about everything. But yeah. um, so does the the seventy show they they do they do they re-record the theme song for that or is it just used in the show after a while and then that kind of helps? No, they uh, they re-recorded it. And I think the second season, uh, yeah, Cheap Trick um, was uh, did the theme song from the from the second season on. Uh, they still play that sometimes in their live set too. Okay. And uh, did they redo the lyrics on for the seven or not? I don't I think, remember. Because that's a that's a big star song, correct? I think so. Yeah. But yeah, they even changed the. They call it that '70s song. Yeah, 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 exactly. But um, and there was a video for that with the band and and all the cast members. Uh, but again, in, in, that was in ni- that was in 1999. So I mean, try to find that video you know, anywhere at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, because MTV no longer playing videos at that point, really. Right. Um, so after that Busted album, then they got, they did get signed to Warner Brothers Records, and Ted Templeman, who produced all the Van, the David Lee Roth Van Halen albums and produced, you know, Doobie Brothers and all kinds of bands, he, he produced the album that they did for Warner Brothers, which was called uh, Woke Up With a Monster. Yes, I was working at the record store when that came out. And, uh, man, it's the, a horrible album cover, and they, yeah. don't use the, yeah. they don't use the Cheap Trick logo. I mean, there's a lot of logos, there's a lot of band logos that are iconic, like Kiss and Aerosmith, and, uh, and I think Cheap Trick has such a classic, iconic logo that I can't believe that they didn't use it on the album cover, it's it. The whole the packaging of that album is really kind of a mess, and I really is, think yeah. that really hurt and any chance they had of any sales. Yeah, well, that and I think the the thing too is it seems in the '80s, largely due to the fact that they were willing to do videos, and Rick Nielsen was very videogenic with his you know with his silliness. They were very much able to move with the times, even if they weren't really an alternative or new wave band. They still kind yeah. of fit along with that, and people accepted them because I, I, they found a way into my ear holes, and you know they otherwise wouldn't have been my cup of tea. But um, so I like them because it just they seem they seem very power poppy. They had a lot more in yeah. common, even with like you know the producers and the romantics than maybe some of the other bands they were being lumped in with on rock radio. But in the yeah. '90s, I think like a lot of other bands, they just had trouble doing it again. You know, trying to fit in with with all that. And I think you know in a lot of ways, grunge. Ruined a lot of music because that's all people wanted. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I, I mean, I always, I always talk with uh, with Jimmy Pardo that we really think that like like eighty one through eighty five, we sound like old fogies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and radio was amazing then because you would get you'd get U two and Van Halen and, and OMD and, and Madonna and Springsteen and Prince. Yeah, and Michael Jackson and all these. All these different types of bands, and we're on the radio together. And then when that when that, when Seattle rock, I don't even I don't even like grunge because it, it's still yeah. rock and roll. It's exactly just, they, they, it's all it's just hard rock. It's just yeah, it's just rock. They just reinvented the sound a little bit, but um, but yeah, when that came in, I don't know why that couldn't. I don't know why those other bands couldn't be played alongside that, but for yeah, some reason, exactly. 
The radio programmers just said, nope, just this. Yep. Well, there's that famous story uh, where, where Pet Shop Boys tell that where the program director for KROQ took the, um, the, a copy of, I think it was Blue Monday by New Order, smashed it on his desk and said, we're never playing this again. And that wow. was like in 1990. And when Neil and Chris heard this, from him, they said, well, our career in America is over. <laughs> so <laughs> they went back to England and, you know, still made a go of it there. So. It's so funny because I, I like a lot of the '90s bands that I gravitated towards. Then were like Counting Crows and Gin Blossoms, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I like those guys. And the second coming of uh, you know Soul Asylum when they became a little more radio friendly. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, uh, I re- and then uh, you know, and I always think the Foo Fighters. They they started in the '90s. They did. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I so, like um, them more than than Nirvana, which is probably. And I like, yeah. I know Dave Grohl. I hear is just the nicest guy in the world. That's what I hear. I mean, I've yeah. I've run into uh, I live in Woodland Hills, California, and I I've run into Taylor Hawkins three different times, like you know, just blocks from my house. So he he must live out that way too, right? And I've said hello to him many times, and he he'll, he'll throw up a fist bump and give you a, a hug and hey, what's up? You know, just like those guys really seem like they don't seem like millionaires. No, no, they seem like they're the, they're the real deal. Um, and, so. Uh, getting back to Cheap Trick now. Yes, let's, yes, let's, of course. Let's roll. Let's roll back and just do go through the uh, favorite Cheap Trick song. Favorite Cheap Trick songs. Yeah. I um. Let me think. Let me go. Uh, let me see if I can pick one from each album. Okay. Uh, there's a song in the first album called "He's a Whore" that I love. Okay, that's that's great. Uh, two minute uh, and something power pop song. I just love it. Second album in color is Southern Girls. I love Southern Girls. Oh, that's a good tune, yeah. Heaven Tonight, I would have to go with a song called On Top of the World. Uh, 
Dream Police. I like a song called The House is Rockin' with Domestic Problems. Um, all shook up. I love uh, I love the the opening track, which is uh, "Stop This Game." I love Everything Works If You Let It from the Roadie soundtrack. Um, I love She's Tight. I love a song called I Can't Take It. From the Todd Rundgren produced album. I love a song called Tonight It's You from Standing on the Edge. Even The Doctor has an, a couple album songs I like, including uh, a song called It's Only Love. was the single and the video from the doctor was called it's only love and um it's the first video that has uh sign language down in the corner oh wow it was actually since the album was called a doctor the doctor the guy doing sign language he's in scrubs and he has uh, a surgical cap and a surgical mask on and he signs the entire video which i thought was at the time kind of cool that is that's very neat um i will say that the, the cheap trick albums that have come out since 97 
are really, really strong albums. Um, uh, in 97, they released uh, their second self-titled album called Cheap Trick. And then in 2003, an album called Special One. 2006, an album called Rockford, which I think is one of their, their greatest albums. I mean, it, it is, it's, a, it's just a really great power pop album from start to finish. Linda Perry wrote a, a song on it for them. And oh, we're on Blondes. Yes, it's just a it's just a great album. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, from 2006, just an album called Rockford. Okay. And then uh, 2009, they had an album called The Latest. Uh, and for me, it's okay. They kind of recycled like a couple older tunes, and um, it, f- it feels like an album that was more cobbled together than have a, than is as cohesive as the Rockford album is. And then after that, that's when they have problems with Bunny Carlos. Oh, what happens with Bunny Carlos? I think Bunny had he's had, he had back problems for a while, um, and so they were really doing like some shorter sets. And Bunny always made the set list, and he wasn't allowing them to mix it up that much. So at that time, when you would go see Cheap Trick, you'd get about a seventy-minute show, and you basically knew what they were going to play. Yeah. So then, this is this is this is just my this is what I think. I think Robin got sick of that, and I think if your singer and your drummer are having a problem, who's going to go? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be the. So they said in the in, in the in the press, they just said that Bunny is still a member of Cheap Trick, and he'll record on all the albums, but he will no longer be touring with them. Hmm. So Rick Nielsen's son. Uh, Dax, he comes in and he starts making the set lists and now the set lists are amazing. You'll get like the four or five hit, big hits and then the rest is all album cuts and fan favorites and and it changes night to night. Different songs will be in and out and uh, he's a great drummer. He's young and I think, I always think the drummer is the first to go in a rock band because that's a lot of stamina. That is, yeah. So when you go see like Aerosmith and they still have the same drummer, that guy, you know, he must be keeping it together pretty well because I, I really think the drummer is the guy that goes first. That is true. So, um, huh? I never noticed that until now. Yeah, and then uh, and then they re- they actually recorded a Christmas song, and they did not record it with Bunny, and then Bunny sued. No, oh, no way. So I think that's what's kept us from getting any new Cheap Trick music since two thousand nine. Oh. And before that, Cheap Trick basically, they released something every year, whether it was an album or a soundtrack song or a song on a, you know, on a tribute album. There was always, once a year I could count on hearing something. And yeah. really, haven't, haven't heard anything since 2009. Wow, that's rough. Um, yes, I don't know. In interviews, they always say, oh, you have a whole album ready to go. But I don't know what... 
I don't know. This lawsuit, I think, is holding that up still. Yikes! Wow, an, an acrimonious split. I had, I had no idea. Yeah, looking yeah. through here, they um there are a lot of movie soundtracks uh, actually. So, what, what overall though is the favorite album? Uh, favorite out. Al- if I had to pick, uh, I like the first album. I like uh, Heaven Tonight. I like Next Position, Please. And I like I like Rockford. And I like the self-titled uh, Cheap Trick '97 album. Um, I was going to just add something else about. Uh, Cheap Trick is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, that's right. I saw that on Facebook the other day. You were campaigning to get them in. Well, there, there, an article just came out yesterday um, about how this is so ridiculous. Like, they've never even been nominated. They've never even been on the ballot. Yeah, that's crazy. And, um, you know, I'm a big Joan Jett fan. But Joan Jett's, uh, you know, she was in The Runaways. Sure. And, and to me, the, runaway, the, the Runaways are only thought of because they were teenage girls and Cherry Bomb's great song. Yeah. But I mean, you can't really name any other runaway songs, probably. No, and they, you could say, well, they paved the way for, you know, yeah. the Go-Go's and, you know, uh, right. and Bangles and people like that. Fine. But yeah. Uh, you, you and then, much and then Joan Jett, who is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think she deserves to be, but her, her, real, her career is really made up of covered t- tunes. Yeah. I mean, even I Love Rock and Roll is a cover song. That's not an original Joan Jett tune. No. And a lot of people you know, make that argument, and you know, April always says that about Elvis. is like, well, you know, yeah. there's more to it than that. But yeah, yeah, but I think if you're putting Cheap Trick versus The Runaways, I think that's, that's a no-brainer. I mean, yeah, to never be nominated, and I mean, I mean there's so many bands that name-check Cheap Trick as, as an influence. And... Um, I you know I just I just really don't understand it. I mean, I mean Kiss is in there. I mean I like Kiss, but come on, <laughs> yeah, the best the best Kiss album is is not as good as a weak Cheap Trick album in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I liked Kiss I, for one song. I remember um, they hit big when I was in sixth grade. You probably would have been in eighth or ninth grade, mm-hmm. and uh, I liked them in '74 when Rock and Roll All Night was. New. I'm like, oh, this is this is nice, but I just didn't. They were like any other band to me. And then two years later, all my friends are in the Kiss Army, and I'm like, nope. Yeah, I mean, Kiss for me, Kiss is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for everything they do except music. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, now, I mean, if you go see Kiss now, it's if you've never seen them, it's it's a blast. But I mean, they do the same. It's there's no spontaneity in a Kiss show. Yeah, there never has, and there never has been. And I get it when you're doing pyrotechnics and special effects, and and you know during this song, Gene's gonna fly up to the rafters, and doing that song, Paul's gonna go out to the audience. But then when that stuff isn't happening, there's it doesn't feel like there's camaraderie on stage, and it doesn't feel like like there's any spontaneity or anything in the moment that's happening. It really feels like, you know, an actor in a play. Well, so what do you think is keeping Cheap Trick out? Is it that there's just other bands that are, you know... Uh, I have no idea what's or? keeping them out. They're, they're still on the road. They still play great. Robin still sounds great. They've never stopped making new music. I mean, like I said, 2009 was the last album, but I mean, they've never, they've never stopped making albums. 
Um, I don't know what's keeping them out. It's really, that is really a mystery. I mean, you know, you could name other bands and I might be able to tell you why they're not in. Yeah. But I, I don't know why Cheap Trick is, I mean, they have, they have enough record sales and they have enough iconic albums. I mean, I don't know anyone that didn't have Cheap Trick at Budokan. I mean, that was in everyone's record collection the way Rumors was. Yeah. I mean, so oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, um, I mean, I don't get it. It, it. That's a mystery. And I, and if this article that came out yesterday doesn't at least get them nominated for this year, I'll be, I'll be shocked. Are they in the Japanese Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> they, they probably, if there is one, they would be in there, I would think. So that's true. They are really huge. They are like the Beatles over there. That that is not an exaggeration. No, they they said at the time they they could not leave. They really never saw Japan. They said we couldn't leave the hotel, and we weren't even allowed. They weren't even allowed to go to the windows of the hotel. Because the kids were backing up into the street, oh and they didn't want kids to get hit by cars. That is so so cool. they just basically stayed in the hotel with the windows, with the drapes drawn, uh, jumped in whatever they were driving in, and drove underneath the Budokan, hopped out, did their show, and back to the hotel. It's uh, this is always this is funny to me too. On the Budokan album, the. Uh, when Robin talks, he's talking really slow. Like he says, uh, this one is the next song on our new album. And the reason he did that is because their manager said, hey, they don't speak, they don't speak English. Yeah. You, you're going to have to talk really slow, as if talking slow would make <laughs> them understand English. Well, maybe if they were just learning English, that's probably what it was. I'm sure. Well, maybe. Yeah, that's probably more uh, likely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I just I don't know. It's a mystery to me why Cheap Trick isn't in, and and Chicago's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, that is that's another crazy one, and, and that's crazy to me too because I mean Chicago has wild chart success. Yes, I mean, and even though their '80s period might be deemed as a little bit lightweight and and ballady and soft, yeah, those first Chicago albums with the horns, I mean the instrumentation and everything. It's it's phenomenal, and those albums sound so good. So uh, I know that I don't think they're your cup of tea. Oh no, I like Chicago. I've got about, I've got this about a dozen. Time. I've got some of the big hits. I, my entry into Chicago, funny, funnily enough, uh, which is a word I got from April Richardson, funnily, uh, <laughs> is that um, uh, they actually uh, CBS used to use uh, Alive Again as the uh, theme music for their pregame NFL show. And it took me forever to find out who it was. And then I found out it was them, and I went out and bought the 45. It was still available. And then I kind of like backward. Of course, you know you know me, Mr. Hit Singles Man. Cherry picked my way through the singles. Uh, Saturday in the Park always liked. So, yeah, I always liked Chicago. The, um, uh, isn't it funny? Like back if, uh, now, if you, heard, if you hear a song in a commercial, you can go to your computer and type yes. in yeah. whatever, whatever the product, Campbell Soup, rock song. And yeah, it'll, yeah, pop up. Boom, it'll come up what it is. So yeah, back then we were really flying blind with information on. Oh man, you had to go to the record store and bands and music. You had to rely on the the DJ to give you information, and he was probably giving you the wrong information too, because no one really knew. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But although I think uh, you know that was a lost art, like having you know both worked in record stores, you know we know what that was like. It was the the best part of it was that you could you know you could help people find the music they wanted because there was no internet. 
No. Yeah, and so guys like us who knew more, uh, I, th- I think I told you the story the last time you were on, uh, I tried getting a job at Camelot Records in the Century 3 Mall in Pittsburgh, and uh-huh. uh, my buddy Mike was dating a girl that worked there, and we were taking her home after work, and I said, uh, and there were a bunch of us in the car, a bunch of us guys, and, and, she, and I said, you know, I've been trying to get a job at, at your record store, and they won't even call me for an interview. Uh, what do you got to do? And she says, well, well, first of all, you have to know a lot about music. Everybody in the car <laughs> just died laughing. And then right. you're gonna get a word <laughs> So that's one of my favorite stories about but I finally got into work in a record store long after it was cool. But um yeah, it was always fun. That was the big kick. My remember a boss telling me she was showing me how to check in albums and, and how to, you know, train people and she goes, you know, you show people how to do this and then they get it and that's the best part of the job. And I'm like, No, Chris, that's not. The best part of the job is someone coming in and saying, There's a song and it's kinda jangly and has the words uh, gorilla in it. You know what song that is? I'm like, Yes, it's right over here. That's the best part of the job. Which is why I probably failed in, in the uh, in the retail music business. Uh, yeah, re- working at a record store that was so great. I remember you, you know, the the albums would come in and you'd be putting them on the shelves, and you would ask the manager, "Hey, we got a bunch of these. Can we open one and play it?" Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Was, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So good. I mean, people would come in and go, "What? Are, what is this playing?" And you tell yeah, them what it yeah. was, and they'd go buy it. Oh yeah, totally. You can recommend people. I like, you know, a group like this. What else would I like? And you take them over and show them. Oh, you'd probably like this. Oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah, I, I can remember, like, I can remember, like, a guy came in, and he was an old, you know, to me, he was an older gentleman. He was probably you know, younger than I am now, but he's like, there's this song, and, and it, I want to get it for my girlfriend, and he he's telling me that he's singing it for me. And, like, I knew what it was. I, it was a Neil Diamond song called if you know what i mean and i, I and he's oh. like oh my he was so excited that i knew and he you know he he bought, bought the album immediately and that was so much fun to to help people find stuff and to to know what you were talking about it was really cool oh yeah yeah well like, i don't think my parents knew i you know when i when i went to the record store i don't think i think my parents just thought i was running the register and just stocking shelves like yeah. they didn't really understand that that, like there was a knowledge that went along with, with oh, that yeah. job, or at least there should have been. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, well, cool, man. We're bumping up against an hour here, so All right. um, yeah, we'll wrap this up for the listening public. I should note before because I don't think people listen to anything after the interview is done on my show. Uh, <laughs> the entire Cheap Trick uh, catalog uh, of the Epic Years, which takes us up through, I think. 1990 because Woke Up with the Monsters on Warner Brothers. Yes, all the stuff, all all the stuff, all the way through there, you can find in Freegal, which is uh, your local library may be uh, connected to, and you can you can get like seven downloads a week. And as far as I know from talking to the Freegal people, the band does get paid. What they get paid, they're not sure, but it's whatever their contract says with the record label. So they could still be getting they're probably getting screwed anyway. Even if you go out and buy it from iTunes or you go buy a physical copy somewhere. Uh, but they do get paid if you go to Freegal. You can download any of the songs we talked about for the most part up through uh, 1994, uh, up to 1994, I should say, and uh, enjoy yourself some cheap trick. And uh, great. And of course, Rock Solid podcast drops every Thursday. Every Thursday, uh, we uh, and um, coming up on our 200th episode, we are uh, now. I'm hoping this still happens, but our 200th episode is scheduled to have. Um, Steve Lukather, the guitarist from Toto. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm recording with him next Wednesday. Speaking of bands that are not my cup of tea. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, and, 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 and I totally, that's a band where if you tell me that, I, I, I understand. You get it, yeah. And yet, uh, I, I, I very much love them. But uh, uh, I like Africa. Like some band, like some band, some people would tell me, oh, I don't like them at all. And I'm like, are you insane? Oh, well, but yeah, yeah. With yeah. Toto, I can go, I get it. 
Yeah, well, I like Africa. I like the the the, the backing track, and I love L.A. by um by Randy Newman. Uh, yeah, and I'm done. And oh, let me ask you a question about that song, by the way, because I've always wanted to ask Belknap this because he was the first one to bring it up. Really, he is of the opinion that when they play that song at Dodger Stadium, the people are idiots singing along with it because Randy Newman is making fun of them. And while uh-huh. Randy Newman has that sense of humor, and you've lived in Los Angeles now for 20 years. Yeah. I, I think Randy Newman actually does love L.A., and that song is tweaking the nose at other cities in a Randy Newman way. Which, which is it? Is Randy Newman making fun of people in L.A., or does Randy Newman genuinely love L.A.? I think Randy Newman is, is making fun of, of, of people in L.A., but I also think he likes L.A. Okay. Because yeah. that's kind of how I feel. Like, Interesting there's answer. so many. I love yeah. it out here. Yeah, yeah. But there are so many weird things you see in the way that people in the industry act, and it's just, you know, I grew up in small town Pennsylvania, and it's sure. still, I can see phony baloney stuff. You know, it, it's just, it's just like, oh my god. And and my favorite thing to do is when I work when I'm working on a TV show and people are being like that, I just I literally call them on it. Yeah, and they don't know what to do. <laughs> They look at you like you have just physically assaulted them. <laughs> you know, like if you just say, yeah. "Come on, man, that's not cool." What, what do you, are you, are you, are you, are you, you know, whatever, you, whatever I would say. But um, yeah, some people really live and breathe that uh, phony baloney BS. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to swear on this show, but you can. Um, but uh, what else were you going to say? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both on that song, and I love that song. Yes, I do too. Because I love L.A. Well, uh, great, man. Good talking to you again. See you on the Facebook and the Twitter and the email and all that. And, um, and maybe out in California sometime. And uh, follow uh, me at Pat underscore Francis. Yes. And follow the podcast at Rock Solid Show on Twitter. And uh, thank you, P.F. I'm also P.F. I'm P.F. Dodson. Yes, you are. P.F. Wilson. Exactly. Yes. So uh, we'll chat again. Yes, sir. All right. Good talking to you again, man. Thanks. You too. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks again to Pat Francis for coming on and talking about Cheap Trick and educating us all. I learned a lot. I hope you did, too. And, you know, I always had time for Cheap Trick, but I kind of only knew the hit singles. And as I was going back and, you know, inserting the songs into the episode in post, as we say, um, I thought, wow, these are really good tunes. And uh, I always, like, you know, thought Rick Nielsen was a cool dude. And Robin Zander does have a very nice voice, uh, particularly for that genre of music. And as I said, a kind of alternative in a way, more rock radio than alternative but certainly friendly to the alternative ear, I would say. So I'm probably going to go back and plunder the catalog, and I recommend that you do the same. And uh, a bit is all available in Freegal, and like I said, I, I'm pretty sure the band gets paid if you download from Freegal, and I also think they get more if you download it versus streaming it, because some artists in Freegal you can stream and some you can't, I believe that's because of uh, rights uh, things. So anyway, but you can go back and get the Cheap Trick catalog. In fact, uh, Woke Up With A Monster, even though it was on Warner Brothers, is in, oh, it's very complicated, but most of the stuff is in there that you heard today. Check it out or buy it on iTunes or Amazon or anywhere you buy your music. Don't forget to listen to Rock Solid via iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else you get your podcast. You can listen to it direct from the internet uh, at Rock Solid Podcast, I think. Just Google that and that'll take you to the Libs page for uh the for the show follow uh pat on twitter follow rock solid on twitter uh, like the show on facebook like us on facebook follow me on twitter at pf66 
Oh, quick update for you uh, on the Damone coffee shop thing. I looked it up, and uh, it's not just a coffee shop that he does there. He's still active in Hollywood. He uh, has guest starred on a couple of uh, TV shows in the past few years, and he's directed a lot of stuff as well. I think he's doing more stuff behind the camera, and he's also in a movie that's coming out, I think, next year. It's uh, finishing up production now. So Damone is still working. Coffee shop must be just a thing so he can, you know, where, where he can store his money and has a little investment to fall back on, but uh, Damone's doing okay. Okay. Going to forego the uh, usual credits, of course, because these things always run longer than I think they're going to. So we're going to leave you with uh, one of the hits of Cheap Trick. But there's a reason it's a hit. It's a great tune. That's why this is Dream Police from Cheap Trick. So long and thanks for listening. Dream